Once upon a time, there was a very successful business owner. His company had faithfully served millions of customers for many years. But lately, business had not been so good. And his competitors were just waiting for him to fail. And so for months, the man pondered this crisis. But the problems were so complex and solutions seemed nowhere to be found. Everyone was wondering what would happen to this great company. And so finally, the businessman announced that he was hosting a dinner for all of his employees. He would unveil a plan that would save the company and return it to its former glory. Now, he wanted to convey to them how important each individual, each person was to the future success of that organization. And so the morning of the dinner, he was sitting in his study at his home working on his speech when his wife came in and asked if she would mind watching their son for a few hours while she ran some errands. He was about to say, I really need to focus on finishing my speech. But something caught his tongue and he found himself agreeing, if reluctantly. So his wife had only been gone about 10 minutes when there was a knock on the study door and there appeared his seven-year-old son. Dad, I'm bored. And the father spent the next couple of hours trying to amuse his son while also trying to finish his speech. Finally, he realized that if he could not find some way to entertain his child, he was never, ever going to get his dinner speech finished in time. So picking up a magazine, he thumbed through the pages until he came to a large, brightly colored map of the world. Well, he ripped the picture into dozens of pieces and led his son into the living room. And tossing the pieces all over the floor, he announced, son, if you can put this map of the world back together again, I'll give you $20. That's the answer, right? Bribe the kid. <laughs> so the boy immediately began gathering the pieces. He was keen to earn the extra money. He needed just 20 more dollars to buy something that he'd been saving for since his last birthday. So the father returned to his study thinking he had just bought himself a couple of hours to work on finishing his speech because he knew his seven-year-old had no idea what the map of the world was supposed to look like. But five minutes later... Just as he was settling into his speech, there was another knock on the study door. And there stood the young seven-year-old boy holding the completed map of the world. And the father said in amazement, how in the world did you finish that so quickly? Well, the boy smiled and he said, you know, Dad, I had no idea what the map of the world looked like. But as I was picking up the pieces, I noticed that on the back... It was a picture of a man. And the father smiled and the boy continued. So I put a sheet of paper down and I put the picture of the man together because I knew what the man was supposed to look like. And then I placed another sheet of paper on the top and holding them tightly together, I turned them over and he smiled again and exclaimed, I figured, Dad, that if I got the man right, the world would be right. The man handed his son the 20 bucks, and he said to him, son, you've just given me my speech for tonight. If you get the man right, you get the world right. Put the man together, and the whole world falls into place.
It's a good example to live by. Last week, we began to look at the profile of a man who has epitomized the idea of someone whose character was well put together and how that character affected the people in the world around him and influenced the world around him. And as I suggested last time that even though the word integrity is never used in the book of Daniel, it nonetheless describes him perfectly. Slice the character of Daniel anywhere and it bleeds moral integrity, especially when you come to Daniel chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like you to turn there. We're going to finish up what we started last week. We can learn a lot from Daniel's life concerning integrity, which applies directly to our own call by God to be people of integrity in a world that seemingly has none. Daniel's life reminds us that in the midst of a culture that may not share our faith, that we can and must remain sound in that faith. Daniel's demeanor in chapter 6 reminds us that the people of God must be people of integrity. So let me do a quick review of some of the key principles we uncovered last time. The first thing that we saw last time in Daniel chapter 6, and I'm not going to take the time to read the whole passage to you, but we'll work down through it, is that a person of spiritual integrity or people of spiritual integrity will enjoy God's favor. God's preference. We see that in the first three verses. That if you are a godly man or woman living according to God's word, that most people, even though they don't agree with you, will respect you. And that's what happened in Daniel's case. The king, many kings actually, in Daniel's lifetime, saw what an extraordinary spirit that he had. And they raised him up to a place of leadership over the kingdom. That had to do with God's hand on Daniel. Because integrity builds trust and it carries with it a high influence value with people. When you're a man or woman of biblical integrity, you will be used by God and enjoy the preference and the favor of a majority of the people around you. But make no mistake, if you are a person of conviction, your integrity is going to be tested. But in the midst of the test, Daniel's life shows us, secondly, that we saw, that a person of spiritual integrity will exemplify moral purity. And in verses 4 to 9, we find that in Daniel. Daniel was above reproach. He wasn't perfect, but he was consistent. And that's the key. He practiced what he preached. Daniel's spiritual convictions were so consistent that they could be used against him by his fellow leaders that didn't share his faith. Actually, they didn't like Daniel very much because he was a man of integrity and they were not. And so they did use that against him, that he was consistent in his faith. They came up with a bogus law that they knew he would have to break in order to remain faithful to his God. And here's the personal application here that we had last week. Is our faithfulness to our biblical convictions so solid and so well known by the people around us that someone, anyone, could count on that? That's the question. Which leads us to the third point that we looked at last week, that a person of spiritual integrity will exhibit faithful perseverance. 
Verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house, now in his roof chamber. He had windows open toward Jerusalem and he continued kneeling on his knees and three times a day praying to his God and giving thanks as he had been doing previously. Key phrase. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. So through Daniel's reaction to their plot, we saw that three things emerge here out of a person, about a person of spiritual integrity. Three easy words to remember. Confidence, consistency, and conviction. In other words, a person of spiritual integrity will be confident in the power of their faith. Secondly, they will be showing a consistent pattern of living out their faith. And thirdly, they will have confirmed priorities in the practice of their faith. Daniel's priority was to do what God wanted, regardless of what everybody else wanted. When it came to his faith, he wasn't conceited about it. He wasn't cowardly about it. He was simply confident, consistent, and convinced. His beliefs were more than just strong preferences. They were deep-seated convictions. And his convictions were his priority. And if you were here last week, we did a long excursus on what a conviction is and what a preference is. Remember that? And we said at the end, basically, that what the courts found out in this country is that a conviction is a belief that you will not change. A conviction is a belief that you will not change. Now tell me, did last week's message cause any of you to think about which beliefs you could classify as convictions and which you could classify as preferences? Did you, did you think about that? Talk about that? I know some people went home and talked about it all afternoon. Well, you're surprised at your findings. True convictions always show up in a person's lifestyle, you know. So if we say that we have a conviction about something, then we ought to be able to prove it by our lives. Otherwise, it's merely a preference. In Daniel's case, we find that his convictions were non-negotiable. But let me reiterate what I ended with last time. And this was very important as we head into this next section. You don't have to be perfect in order to have your Christianity be taken seriously. In fact, you cannot be perfect. You do, however, as I said last time, have to be honest. All of us need to be honest about the fact that we fall far short of living out what we claim to believe in every area of our lives. We need help. We need Jesus. That was the Jesus moment in last week's message. We need him because he's the only one who is perfect. Amen? Daniel was a man of conviction for sure, but he was not perfect. Now, you don't find anything in the book of Daniel that was negative toward him. However, you know how I know Daniel wasn't perfect? Well, the Bible says no one's perfect. That's, that's one way. But I actually know it 
because of Daniel's own testimony. Daniel's prayer in chapter 9 is a clear indication that Daniel knew that Daniel wasn't perfect. Turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 9. Not going to read every verse, but I just want to highlight some things before we move on. This is Daniel's prayer for the nation. Daniel's prayer for his people. It's a famous prayer. It's one of the most incredible prayers you'll ever read in the scriptures. Daniel, here in chapter 9, associates himself with the sins of his people at least 32 times in this chapter. And then in verse 20, he confesses his own sin. Let me just read down through a few highlights. If you want to just mark these verses, you can read them later. Look at what it says in verse 4. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. Okay? Well, that's one hint. Verse 5. We have sinned committed iniquity, acted wickedly, and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Verse 6, moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name. Verse 8, open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings and our princes, our fathers, because they sinned, we have sinned against you. Verse 9, to the Lord our God belongs compassions and forgivenesses, for we have rebelled against him. Verse 10, nor have we obeyed. Verse 11, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, not obeying your voice. So the curse has been poured out upon us. At the end of the verse, we have sinned against him. Verse 13, we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to your truth. Verse 14, we, at the end, we have not obeyed his voice. Verse 15, we have sinned. We have been wicked. What's he saying? I'm a sinner just like the rest of this nation. I'm lumping myself in with them. And here's the kicker right here in verse 20. Now while I was speaking and praying and confessing, what? My sin, circle that, my sin and the sin of my people, Israel. Daniel wasn't perfect and Daniel knew he wasn't perfect. But did God use Daniel? Yes. Why? Because he was a man who was a a man of moral, spiritual integrity. He was confident in his faith. He was consistent in living out his faith. And he was convinced of certain things about his faith. So you and I don't have to be perfect. But we do need to be people of spiritual integrity. Amen? And a man or woman of spiritual integrity will be a man or woman of conviction in the important areas in their life that God demands. And that kind of integrity, my friends, comes with a price tag. And that's our next point. This is where we're getting into the new stuff. Fourth thing is in this text is that a person of spiritual integrity will experience inevitable persecution. Let's look at verse 12. Back in Daniel chapter 6. Then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days is to be cast into the lion's den? And the king replied, the statement is true. 
according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. Then they answered and spoke before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you signed, but keeps making his petition three times a day. Then as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed and set his mind on delivering Daniel. And even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. And then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Recognize, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or statute which the king establishes may be changed. And then the king gave orders, and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. A person of spiritual integrity will experience inevitable persecution. Even though the king loved Daniel, even though the king respected Daniel, Daniel got thrown to the lions because of his convictions. So the first thing you need to know is acknowledge the possibility that you might suffer for your faith. When anyone stands for truth and makes his claim for God in this world, he will face opposition. Jesus warned that his followers would be persecuted for his sake. In John chapter 15, verses 18 to 20, Jesus said these words. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Jesus made it very, very clear to us that if you live a faithful Christian life, you will, at some point in your life, be an offense to somebody. It's unavoidable. If you are a godly man or woman of integrity, you will have people who are against you. Sad, but true. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Paul writes to Timothy, his young protege, he says, and indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now that persecution can take all kinds of forms. You might be overlooked for a job promotion. Light persecution, still persecution. Because you stand for Christ and your boss doesn't like that. See, Daniel was persecuted here. Imagine it. Imagine persecuting an 85-year-old man because he was praying. An 85-year-old man who had the king's favor simply for praying. But they did it. That's what we find in Daniel chapter 6, verses 12 to 16, which I just read. Darius was distressed. They had played him a fool. He might have enjoyed the idea of holding the position of God for a month, but he hated the fact that he became a fool in one day. No matter how hard he tried, he couldn't get Daniel off. The law of the Medes and the Persians ruled. They, he had to carry it out. So Daniel must die, much to his chagrin. 
These verses testify to the immense respect that the king had for Daniel as a man of God and a man of integrity. Not only must a person of integrity acknowledge the possibility of persecution, but he must also accept willingly the penalty for your actions in the persecution. 1 Peter chapter 2. Daniel didn't argue about this. He just accepted it under the sovereign hand of God. He knew God was sovereign over, over all men and nations. 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter writes to his readers, verse 13, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him, for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you might silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only those who are good and gentle, but also those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it and you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. You hear what Peter's saying? If you decide that you're going to be a man or a woman of your convictions and stand up for what's right, for what God wants, and you are persecuted for it, bear it patiently for this finds favor with God. And why? Who is our example? Jesus. Look at verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you as an example for you to follow in his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Underline that in your Bibles, if you write in your Bibles. Because that's the key and that's the answer to being able to endure persecution when you are in the right. We keep entrusting ourselves to him who judges righteously. Make sense? God sees it all. And God is in control. Daniel accepted his penalty for his actions. There are no recorded words here in this chapter of Daniel's self-defense, no pleading for a release, like Christ who was led to, like a lamb to the slaughter and without uttering a word as he entrusted himself to his father, so must Christians be willing to endure the consequences of their actions of faithfulness, knowing, knowing full well that God has sovereign control over every situation in life. How much do I have to learn in this area of my life? How much do you have to learn? One of the most moving accounts that I have ever read of strength under persecution is of a young slave girl. You know, some people ask you, uh, who do you want to see when you get to heaven first? Anybody ever ask you that? Ever think about that? Some people say, oh, the Apostle Paul. Some people say, well, Jesus, obviously. I've always thought, 
I would like to see this girl. Her name was Blandina. She was a young slave girl who died in 177 AD at Lyon, France, during the reign of Emperor Marcus Aurelius. By the way, Blandina and her contemporaries are memorialized by a marker at the place of their martyrdom in the ancient amphitheater. You can visit there today and still see those markers. But although her mistress, who also was martyred, feared that because her body was so small and weak and frail that Blandina would not be able to hold firm her witness, she was given great strength to do it. In fact, those who tortured her successively from morning until night were actually worn out from fatigue as they had used every means of torture upon her that they could. They were tired, but she endured. Eusebius writes, she was bound to a stake and wild beasts were set on her. According to legend, they did not, however, touch her. She looked as if she was hanging in the form of a cross and through her ardent prayer, she stimulated great enthusiasm in those undergoing their ordeal who in their agony saw with their outward eyes in the person of their sister, the one who was crucified for them. She was like an icon of Jesus to all the other martyrs because of the way that she endured it. After enduring this for a number of days, mind you, in an effort to persuade her to recant, she was led into the arena to see the sufferings of her companions. And finally, on the last day of the sports, Blandina was again brought in, rejoicing and exulting at her departure as if going to a wedding supper and not thrown to the beasts. As the last of the martyrs, she was scourged, placed on a red-hot grate. You know what that was? It was a metal chair, an iron chair that they heated up with hot coals underneath and they forced the person to sit in it. This was after days of torture. She was enclosed in a net and thrown before a wild steer who tossed her into the air with his horns. And time after time, the animal tossed her. But she was indifferent now to all that happened to her because of her hope and sure hold on all that her faith meant and of her communing with Christ. They were amazed to see her still breathing while her body was torn and laid open. And then she too was sacrificed while the heathen themselves admitted that they had never known a woman suffer so much for so long. This small, frail, little slave girl, Blandina, throughout her ordeal, annihilated all of her pains with this confession. I am a Christian and no evil is committed among us. You know what the church of Jesus Christ needs to be able to do today? We need to be able to say that. Yes. That we are Christians and no evil is committed among us. With conviction. 
We need to be able to restore integrity to the words of our confession. And when we do, we better expect persecution to come. Maybe not always physical, but definitely in other ways. And yet, like Blandina, we should not be moved by the possibility of opposition because, fifthly, here in this text of Daniel 6, a person of spiritual integrity can expect sovereign preservation. Look at 16 again, verse 16, the second half of the verse. The king spoke and said to Daniel, your God whom you constantly serve will himself deliver you. A stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles so that nothing would be changed in regard to Daniel. Then the king went off to his palace and spent the night fasting. How much influence do you think that Daniel had on a pagan king that when he was put into the lion's den, the pagan king went back to his chambers and fasted and prayed for him? No entertainment was brought before the, before the king and his sleep fled from him. And then the king arose at dawn at the break of day and went in haste to the lion's den. And when he came near the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you constantly serve been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke to the king. What did Daniel say? Nah, 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 I told you. <laughs> what did he say? He said, oh, king, live forever. May my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. And they have not harmed me inasmuch as I was found innocent before him, God. And also toward you, oh, king. That's the key thing, right? Innocent toward God and toward men. I have committed no crime. Sounds like Blandina. Then the king was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he had trusted in his God. The Christian who truly believes God is sovereign can expect to be preserved by him. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, that doesn't always happen for us. How can you say that? I'm not necessarily talking about physical preservation. In Daniel's case, it was. But every true follower of Christ will be preserved by God for eternal life. Amen? There should be no worry either way. Right? We either live through the suffering here or we die and we're in heaven with God. That's not so bad, is it? Daniel didn't know that he would be spared. In fact, being 80 plus years old, he probably figured, oh, my time's up. The truth of the matter is, is that he gave himself over to the sovereignty of God, over to the Lord, knowing that he was in good hands. Good hands. He's a good, good father. Talk about life insurance. Not all state. 
Daniel cashed in. He was preserved for one reason only. It says in verse 23. What is it? Underline it. Because he had trusted in his God. He trusted in his God. Do you trust in yours? Do you trust God to bring about his best for you in every situation that you find yourself in, no matter what it is, in your job, in your marriage, in your relationships, in your future? If you remember when Conrad preached a few weeks back when I was in Scotland, I think you played a song, right? A a YouTube video of uh, J.J. Heller. What love really means. So I went and listened to that song. And I started reading the comments underneath that YouTube video. And this is one that was striking to me. And I thought it was apropos to share it with you. This woman writes this. Sometimes I wonder if I'm the last virgin female of my age out there. I've surrendered my love story to God. I've surrendered to him the pen to my love story. But I still feel so afraid I will never find a man who will love and honor me or a man I can love and honor in return. I'm trusting God to bring love into my life, but I get so frustrated. It's been a long, long wait. And as I get older, I know the chances of finding a Christian man out there within my age range who is also a virgin get slimmer and slimmer. It's got to be impossible by now. I'm sure he doesn't exist. The world has brainwashed every person into thinking sex before marriage is okay and expected, but I am waiting on God. It's my only option, she writes. I couldn't respect myself if I abandoned my convictions. Now, and I know God will never abandon me. This is where the rubber meets the road, my friends. We look at Daniel and we say, ah, yeah, you know, he's just, he's in the Bible, of course, he got preserved. <laughs> but here's this woman who's taking some a situation in her life that she's trusting in God for, a much smaller by comparison of Daniel. Do you trust him even for the little things in your life? And we can cast all of our cares upon him, Peter says. Why? Because he cares for us. 1 Peter 5, 7. A person of spiritual integrity can expect God's preservation. Amen? Psalm 118, verse 8 says, It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Proverbs 2, verses 7 and 8 says, He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, and he preserves the way of his godly ones. Listen, you and I can't always expect a divine miracle to take place, like in Daniel's case. You can't always expect God to send an angel to deliver us out of the situation we're in. You can't always expect God to set aside laws of nature to come to our aid. You can't expect that Christians are never going to be overpowered by the wicked. Those are not God's promises in the scripture. But we can expect that nothing will happen to you apart from God's sovereign knowledge and righteous will. 
We can't expect that God will hear and answer our prayer. We can't expect that God will support and comfort his children in times of real trial and testing. And we can't expect that God will reward righteousness and punish evil. We can bank on those promises. Verse 24. Then the king gave orders and they brought those men who had maliciously accused Daniel and they cast them, their children and their wives into the lion's den and they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. You know what that is a picture of? That is a picture that God wins in the end and so do his children. Not to rejoice in anyone's destruction. Because God takes no pleasure in the death of anyone. He doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked. But he wants all to come to repentance. Something else happens to a person as a result of a person's spiritual integrity. And this is the sixth thing here. That a person of spiritual integrity will affect God-centered praise. Look at verse 25 and following. Then Darius, the king, wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language who were living in all the land, quote, may your peace abound. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. How's that for a turnaround? For he is the living God and enduring forever. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. And his dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. You see, a person of spiritual integrity will affect God-centered praise from even the unrighteous. People of spiritual integrity will be a vehicle for God's glory. A conduit for God's glory. Daniel had godly influence on this king. He lived a spiritual life of spiritual integrity. And eventually even the pagan king recognized and respected Daniel's God. Isn't that how Jesus actually challenged us to live in the Sermon on the Mount? In Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16, in some very familiar verses of Scripture, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. And the last thing here, is that a person of spiritual integrity will enjoy spiritual prosperity. Look at verse 28. So this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Now, I'm not teaching a prosperity gospel here. I'm talking about spiritual prosperity. When your integrity is intact, my friends, your life will be in tune. Remember that statement. When your integrity is intact, your life will be in tune. Psalm 1 very clearly says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. No, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in it he meditates day and night. 
And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he will prosper. G.K. Chesterton made this very accurate observation. He said, morality, like art, it, it consists of drawing a line somewhere. The same could be said of integrity. Integrity, like art, consists in drawing a line somewhere. So the big question is, where have you drawn your line? Author Patrick Morley once described spiritual integrity as a one-to-one -one correlation between my Bible, my belief, and my behavior. That's easy to remember, right? Three Bs. It's a one-to-one -one correlation between my Bible, my belief, and my behavior. What we need, he says, today, more than anything else, is a revival of the Bible, of our belief, and of our behavior. So let me try to boil all this down to three easy-to-remember statements for you that you can walk out of here with after two weeks of talking about Daniel. I'll bet you you can remember these. Number one, people of spiritual integrity take their Bible seriously. Number two, people of spiritual integrity trust in God explicitly. And number three, people of spiritual integrity live their lives accordingly. That's easy to remember, isn't it? Hard to do. These are people of action. Integrity is doing what you said you'd do. You told Christ you'd follow him. Will you? Have you? You promised your mate you'd be faithful to him or her for the rest of your life. Till death do you part. Have you been? Will you be? You said that the check was in the mail. Is it? Good question at tax time. You promised your kids you'd play catch with them today. Will you? Or will you cut up a map of the world to give to them? You told that fellow Christian that you would pray for them. Have you? You know what's even better than telling the truth, my friends? Doing the truth. It's impossible to overemphasize the urgent need in our day of men and women of uncompromising spiritual integrity. Men and women who take their Bible seriously, trust in God explicitly, and who live their lives accordingly. Are you one of those people? I hope so. Here's one for you. Are you living your life in such a way that the preacher can tell the truth at your funeral? <laughs> I've done a lot of funerals for some pretty sketchy people. Not in this church. That's a good question. Put it on your refrigerator. Are you living your life so that the preacher can tell the truth at your funeral? Hey, God help us to think and speak and act as people of Christ-like integrity. Amen? Let's pray.
Thanks, Lord. Thank you for the life of Daniel and for the example that he is. And again, we, we, we fall far short and we repent of that. We ask your forgiveness for it. But Lord, help us to take these principles that we've looked at today, put them into practice, and we trust in you, Lord. We trust in your sovereignty. We know that you are a good, good father. Help us walk hard after you. In the dust of our rabbi, Jesus Christ, and it's in his name I pray. Amen.